Welcome to The Savvy Session, your go-to podcast about elevating your life and business, sprinkled with a little bit of fun. This podcast is brought to you by Elevate Performance Solutions and Revolu IT Services. And now, here are your hosts, Kirsten Ramos and Paula Kircher. Welcome back to The Savvy Session. As we continue to share stories that elevate women, we are excited today to be talking with an entrepreneur who built her boutique accounting firm and eventually sold it to a multinational bank. Today, we are joined by Christine Givens, an accountant by trade, philanthropist at heart, and a personal friend of mine. Welcome, Christine. Thank you very much. I'm excited to see you ladies this morning. I know it's see great. Here. It w- yes, <laughs> and it's great to have you on. Uh, just for, for all of you listening, Christine and I were connected a couple of years ago by a mutual acquaintance and we immediately hit it off. It was wonderful um, working with her and we actually had the opportunity to co-lead a women's organization for a short time. And really during those months of getting to know Christine even better, I found that her poise and ability to handle difficult situations became so valuable to me. It it was almost that she really took me under her wing to say, hey, we want to handle these conversations a little bit differently because I, you know, have sometimes a little bit bit too much fire. Um, And and it was really, really valuable to me to have that guidance and have her leadership. Um, So Christine, I would love for you to share a little bit about your background, how you decided to strike out on your own and and ultimately open your your accounting firm. All right. Well, I I'll just tell you a quick story. When I went to college, I really didn't have a plan as far as what I was going to study and I thought I'll study business, I might go to law school. And I took um accounting because that was one of the classes you had to take in business. And I didn't miss a question the whole entire semester. I thought, hmm, maybe I need to go into accounting. (laughs) (laughs) That was the beginning of my accounting career. I started as a tax consultant at Ernst & Winnie, which is now Ernst & Young. When I started, there were eight of the big firms. Now there's only four. And I actually started in the tax or the audit department, Uh, and did a tax internship as soon as I, basically as I started, and I never left tax. And part of the benefit of working and starting in an accounting career in the big public accounting firm is that you get invaluable experience working with really sophisticated clients and really, really, really smart professionals. I mean, that was one thing I learned when I went to Ernst was, you know, in college, I felt like, ah, oh, you know, I'm I'm really getting some of the highest grades in the class. I went to Ernst, and everybody's really, really smart, and <laughs> everyone did really well in school. So I was just, you know, like one of the pack, and it's quite a learning experience because it's like drinking from a fire hose and working crazy hours. I don't know if either of you had that experience when you first started working. It's it's insane how much you really just have to be a sponge and and absorb it. And I worked with a variety of clients and with a variety of entity structures. And that's really what set me up for the next step in my career, because I I knew a lot 
I, I knew a little about a lot. Uh, I wasn't a, necessarily a like a um, a technical expert in one particular area, but I knew, uh, you know, very broadly across industries and different entity structures, which really helped me then going forward. And after my time at Ernst & Young, I joined a boutique accounting firm, which was originally founded by two of my Ernst colleagues, former Ernst colleagues, and they were doing mostly you know, small business work and individuals. And this career move was not intentional by any means. It was, I had an entrepreneurial interest, but the move wasn't, hey, I, you know, this wasn't part of a big plan. It was really unplanned, but it ended up being, you know, a really great move for me financially and from a career perspective. And then within a year or two of joining with them, I had bought them both out Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. Within a couple of years, I had brought on my first big family office client, which do you all know what a family office is? I, I do. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, for those of the folks out there, it's really uh, wealthy families. They oftentimes set up a, an office to handle everything from um, well, it varies. Some people set it up just to deal with financial and investment issues. Some people have, you know, some families have them do everything for them, you know, personal things, everything. So within a year, or a year or two of joining, I had secured one large family office client through my mentor, Ernst & Young. And we, because we did such a great job, you know, one family office tells another, hey, we have this firm we worked with. They're really great. You know, it turned into us ultimately over the seven or eight years that I owned the firm having, I think we had about eight family office clients. So wow. it really just ballooned, right? And uh, in 2008, well, after five years then, I had bought out my other two partners and the firm had grown substantially. We had gone from the four of us plus, or the three of us plus one employee to 17 employees. And in 2008, I was introduced through my network to uh, a gentleman who ran one of the big um, groups in Chicago at BMO, and they wanted to develop family office capabilities. They didn't want to, uh, they thought about growing, you know, developing it themselves. But then they thought, well, if we can buy a firm that already has the capabilities, let's bring them on mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll purchase it instead of build it. I stayed with them for five years. And after 26 years of really living by this deadline driven, you know, life, because taxes, you know, from your husband, right? Yes, I do. It just gets so old. It's really, really gets old. And I, I left the firm. I took four months off and I really, I didn't totally because I took uh, this class and studied for the certification called Certified Private Wealth Advisor. And then I started looking for a business to purchase. And I initially thought I would purchase you know, a manufacturing firm or something like that. But I quickly realized I needed, a, you know, more capital than what I had. And I wasn't really interested in having other investors. During my investigation, somebody suggested I should look at a franchise. So I ended up buying a franchise, <laughs> which I won't even go into that story because it's long and horrible and... <laughs> 
it wasn't a great experience. I mean, I learned a lot, but in the end, I extracted myself from the franchise right before the pandemic, which was a huge blessing. Yes. Uh, because if I hadn't, I would have had to deal with PPP loans and hiring people, finding people, you know, yep. creating a safe work environment. It just would have been awful. Uh, and so then that led me to during the pandemic where Kirsten and I, you know, were started working together in uh, the organization that helps women-owned businesses. And it gave me the opportunity to have something that I could focus on and have something to do, basically. Right? Right. Help people, have something to do and, and help people. Yep. Well, Christine, you had mentioned that you sold your business to a large bank, and many of our listeners are women entrepreneurs. For anyone thinking seriously about selling their business, what are some of the top tips you would give to them? Well, I'm a big believer in success is where preparation meets opportunity. I mean, you don't, you don't, you have to have both, right? You have to have an opportunity, but you also have to have prepared. And one of the things I really did was I networked, 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 and I was always open to opportunities. I, I had started, I had started thinking about what am I going to do from a succession standpoint? I was, let's see, I was like mid forties when, um, when I sold it. Yeah, I guess it was mid forties. And I had started thinking, well, what am I going to do? Who do I have within my firm that could either buy it from me or, you know, whatever the situation was. So I had already started thinking about it and I was open to opportunities. And this gentleman from BMO, he, um, he knew, Somehow he heard about me, I think through the family office exchange or something, he found out that we, you know, that I worked with a bunch of fam- family offices. So I had a meeting with him and that was, that was the catalyst. So I would say network within your industry because you just never know where an opportunity could, you know, would, will come from. And the other thing was, I would say definitely you have to have to have your financials buttoned up if you want to be you know, sell your business, you, you have to have super clean and um, buttoned up financials because they, the process when BMO was looking at us, we had a, we had to provide them with a binder that I'm not kidding you was probably three inches thick of data that they, you know, was in response to basically like an RFP, but they were you know, they wanted us to provide financials and information on our operations, you know, what was the utilization of our employees, all this mm-hmm. uh, before they even would consider. So um, I would say get your financials buttoned up. Also make sure you have any operational reports that potential buyers might want to purchase. If you're a service-based business and you have employees, you absolutely have to keep them happy, engaged, and well-trained. That was part of what was appealing to BMO was we had really, really well-trained employees. In fact, I think I still have probably four or five employees that work in some of those family offices still. And this is you know, how many years later. So um, make sure your employees are happy and (laughs) engaged because you're not going to be able to sell your business if 
if they don't come with you. Uh, I would say if you, before you even get into a situation where you're talking to um, potential buyers, make sure that you have, you engage a professional that you trust either an accountant or I had an attorney who I really, really trust and he handled most of it. Uh, or someone who facilitates the sales of businesses, the purchases of businesses, that kind of thing. But uh, one caveat, make sure that you really understand what the fee structure is. Because, for example, professional who facilitates the sale of businesses, they're probably going to take a percentage of whatever you sell it for. I happen to, my attorney just charged me hourly. Now, it was still very expensive, but sure. it you have to have it, right? You have to have that person there it to um, you know, help you through the process. I do think too that he was the key to me getting what I ultimately got. Like he he was so good, he negotiated a phenomenal deal for me. Uh, the other thing is always, always, always have an NDA in place before yep. you disclose any proprietary information. Um and don't don't rush into the first offer. Like, really, be open to opportunities. But if if it doesn't feel right, don't don't pursue it. You really have to trust your gut on that. Yeah, and Christine, I I love these because I I feel like a lot of times it's ooh that number looks good, that number looks high, that number might be, you know, more than I I was expecting. But having a, a trusted advisor to your point in one of the fields that is really going to delve into your numbers or delve into that, that contract to realize, okay, Hey, this is worded strangely. I mean, even in, in what I do, I have, you know, NDAs signed from a standpoint of I'm going to going to speak to you about your business. I want to make sure, you know, I'm not going to take those trade secrets and, and share them with other clients or on the flip side, I own my materials. So making sure that they're also not going to take those materials and deliver them without me mm-hmm. uh, being the person to deliver those. So I think that is some great advice on getting everything in a, in a row, especially if, if you're an individual that wants to sell, is understanding you've got to get your financials lined up. You have to get a clear story and that it can't be one that you're like, well, I think we did this. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost a, it is a sales pitch where you Absolutely. have to have those numbers known and locked in and really understanding uh, what they mean. Absolutely. If you would go into, if I had gone into that situation saying, well, you know, I'm not sure how much money I make. Or, yeah, right. I don't have my financials buttoned up or I'm not sure how much my employees are utilized. They would have never even considered it. And, and so that was definitely part of the equation of us you know, getting the amount of money I did, mm-hmm. my attorney helped negotiate the structure really, really well. Uh, so it's it's all those things. But I would say the number one thing is just keep your eyes open for opportunity yeah. and network because something will, if you're open to it, something will come up most definitely, but you have to be prepared for it. Yep. It's kind of that, that total package of being prepared, but then also open to, to opportunities and, and looking for those opportunities when they're out there. Absolutely. So speaking of opportunities, what have you been working on and what's next for you? Well, I've been working on a children's book about my, you know, my 
my lovely dog, my, my elderly dog, <laughs> though the story will take place when he's much younger and full of energy. That is, uh, it's been fun, but I need to push myself along because it's not something that's natural to me, right? I've never written a book. So I'm working on that. I'm also evaluating, should I go out and do consulting? I think there's, because of my expertise with franchises, I think that would be a good place possibly to do consulting or just a financial consultant or a fractional CFO. I haven't decided. And um, let's see, what else am I working on? Well, here in, in Bloomington, I am part of this, it's called a Residence Academy, Ooh, which- we, What is this? So mm. it's a 10, yeah, it's interesting. It's a 10 week, two hours a week course where we go around and they teach us about the governance and the utilities and everything related to the city. So our first visit was to the city water treatment plant was actually, I guess, county. It was fascinating. I had never, yeah, totally fascinating. And then we, uh, last week we went, we toured like the West side and learned about housing, affordable housing, all these, it was just really super fascinating. So I'm learning about my new community, which yes, has been re- fun. A recent transplant to the Bloomington, Indiana area. So yes, right. that's, that's very yeah. exciting. Now it makes me want to look to see, does Chicago have something similar? Yeah. Even though I've been here for over 20 years, it, it would be kind of cool to go through different areas within the, Absolutely. the work. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been fascinating. So week three, I'm not even sure what we're doing this week yet, but it's um it's been really fun and to meet new people and meet new people within the government here, which is also very interesting. Yeah. And Christine, one last question for you, and is one we'll be asking all of our guests on the savvy session, and that is what would you say is your superpower and how does it help you to succeed? Well, I was thinking, I think I have a couple. One, I'm just going to say the the first one is I'm a bit of a chameleon. I always tell people I'm a bit of a chameleon. I was talking to one of my brothers who has actually talked to Kirsten before too. (laughs) And I said, I think I'm a chameleon. I adjust my communication style to my clients and that makes them more open. We connect more. I become a trusted advisor to them. That is, that's definitely one, which not everyone can do that. I and don't I, and think. I personally I am glad not everyone can do it. Cause I, I teach people how to, how to be better at that. <laughs> okay, good. There you <laughs> so go. Keep, so it keeps me in business. <laughs> there you go. The second thing is, I think I read people really well and I listen and I remember, and I have a, a story on that. So when I was at BMO, we, of course, part of what we had to do was sales. We had to sell our services. And so we had sales training. And this woman, we had a couple days, like two or three days of training. And this woman who was our trainer at the, before the session even started, she was, she was uh, just talking about how she, her life and how she wanted to, to take off lessons. Like she was covering a, a many many topics, but that was one of them. And about two or three hours later, she says to the group, and I was probably one of mostly men, like 10 or 15. Yeah. And 
she said, does anyone remember what I mentioned I wanted to do at the beginning of the session? And everyone, you know, all the guys, everyone's looking at each other. And I go, you mean golf? She goes, you are the only the second person in 10 years that has gotten that. I was like, whoa, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, just, but that's how I, I think I remember details about people's lives really well too, which then they feel connected to you. It's, it's very endearing to have somebody remember something Mm -hmm. that you said, even if, even if it was more trivial than even the person that said it might think Mm -hmm. it's endearing Mm -hmm. to people to have someone remember that. You're very good at that as well. <laughs> yeah, you are. You I, are. I, I try because, you know, it's, uh, it is, I know that that will help and it's, it's a more of a genuine interest, right? And you, you've mm-hmm. done it the same way of mm-hmm. you're listening to understand that person, uh, even better. So of course you're going to remember those details as part of your, of your process of getting to know what they're about. Yeah, absolutely. You, you could also create a uh, class on that listening, but I mean, she was, she was teaching that as well as you have to listen and remember those things. And you have to listen to hear what is, where is their pain point that, I mean, that's fails, right? Where's their pain point and where do they need help? And you need to figure out how you're going to help them. Right. All, all within the conversation. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, we we've talked about this. A lot of people jump to the solution before they've actually heard the person answer. And I think, yeah, I think that's key, the listen to hear, not listen to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that a lot of people are just listening to wait for the pause to then have their statement instead of listening to hear so they can join in that conversation. (laughs) That's a great point. I, I mean, I find myself, I, I feel like sometimes I have to speak because I'll forget, but you have to train yourself to make some sort of mental note. So you remember, right. Mm-hmm. Or, or physical note, right. If, if you're yeah. on the phone or, or on a, a zoom mm-hmm. call, just writing that note down. I've, I've done that as well mm-hmm. because I don't want to interrupt. And that's mm-hmm. something I struggle with. So I, so in order to not interrupt, I've got to write it down. Uh, well, Christine, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As always, it's amazing to talk with you. I know we could, talk for hours, um, all, all three of us together. Uh, so thank you. Thanks so much for coming on, sharing your story with us. Um, and it's been great learning more, uh, even more than I knew about your full entrepreneurial journey. Uh, so for, for anyone listening, uh, to learn more about Christine, please go to the savvy session.com for more details And join us next time as we continue to share more stories on business, life,